Sharon, what brings you here? Hey, Hannah. I'm here for the Chutzpah podcast. You heard someone at Chutzpah? That's why you came by? That's why. Well, it's great to have you here in the middle of Times Square. I'm Sharon Weiss-Greenberg. You are? Hannah Dreyfus, staff writer at the New York Jewish Week. Let's clue yeah. in our listeners. Anyone new to the Chutzpah podcast, what... What brings us together? What do we have in common? We like to bring in audacious people with tenacity who are change makers who say this world could be better and I'm going to help make that happen. Happen? Where's that from? (laughs) From the the Midwest. I have a weird accent. Have we not established that that? I have a mix of like the Midwest and the South and then like I I mean I got rid of the y'all because I was made fun of. Oh I mean I wasn't going to comment but it was just it was just so pronounced. I have a great Golda though. my name is Golda Meir. That is pretty good. I am Prime Minister. That is good. That is good. Israel. And so let's let's take a moment to acknowledge the the uh, the other person at the table here. Yeah. Um, I'm so excited. David Halford is here. David Halford and I met in the park, I believe. Did we? Probably. Where, else? Where the best friends are made. Right in the playground. In the right. playground. And we have kids, we have kids the, same, kids the age. same age. That's how we met. And then we said, "What do you do?" And we both like worked in the Jewish nonprofit world. Right. And then I learned I. I'm like embarrassed. I did not know about David's work until I met him. Right. That worked out well. David Halfran is the executive oh, director of the Israeli you're, Policy you're Forum. Reading like a bio, like very. Yes. Uh, oh, okay. Previously, oh, you boy. were a reporter in Israel for the English edition of Haaretz. That's true. You had opinion writings in a variety of publications, including. This is true. Can you name five of them? Oh no, no, it's, that's that's you know? not necessary. <laughs> the Los Angeles Times, Politico, <laughs> New York Times, Haaretz, the New York Jewish Week. Uh oh. You received a BA from the University of Arizona and a master's degree in public policy from Columbia University School for International and Public Affairs. Yeah. As SIPA, or SIPA, how do you pronounce that? SIPA, I think. SIPA. Yeah. Where you were a member of the International Fellows Program, originally from Phoenix, Arizona, That's right. That's but right. now live with your wife and children Riverdale. in it. The Bronx. That's right. In the Dale. Absolutely. In the Dale. Nice. So that's, right. I, that's why I sense some similar energy. You used to be a journalist. Simi- that's true. That's yeah, true. Yeah, you can't hide it. You can't yes. hide your past. It's been, you it's been some time now, though. This was uh, 15 years ago, actually, I was at Hearts. Interesting. So it's been a, it's been a while. It's what do you maintain from your reporter days? What do I maintain from my reporter days? It's a great question. Um, I'm good at asking good questions. Yeah. No, it's my I, job. I think um, looking for an angle. Right, you're always looking for an angle. Like, what, what, what is the story in the question I'm, I'm, I'm looking at? I, I, and also a little bit of tenacity, frankly. Um, you know, I, I remember being asked by my editor at Haaretz. There was a story that, um, you know, I was like a, an American kid, kind of uh, learning journalism on, on the fly. And at one point, he asked me to cover a story, and I said, I have no place to stay. And he said, This was the editor at the time, who's now past David Landau of Haaretz. He said, uh, I don't care if you sleep under a bush. I want you covering this story. And it's like, you know, this guy is absolute passion. And David Landau is such a unique uh, and unbelievable individual uh, that I I got a chance to spend time with uh, quite some time ago. But, um, you know, I think I I learned uh, what it takes uh, to be tenacious and and be a journalist. But I also learned that journalism isn't for me, (laughs) which is why I'm not a journalist. What Uh, what wasn't for you about it? Just I, 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 I note the difference between... Uh, being the role of a journalist, your job is to attempt yeah. to be objective or right. to make yourself absent uh, from the story that you are reporting. Right. It is seen as a, generally a criticism if your bias seeps in to yeah. a piece that you are reporting. So th- in the position you are now um, representing an organization with a very clear point of view, uh, I'm interested in sort of the shift um, from going... 
from a place where you are actively trying not to represent an argument or a position yeah. to a place where you are the embodiment of an argument and a position. Sure. I mean, I don't think it was very difficult in my case. I'm going from uh, uh, journalism in Israel. Again, this is some time ago, but um, learning about the people and the place um, to becoming quite passionate about the people and the place and wanting to do something to safeguard the people and the place. Um, so for me, it wasn't so much of a shift, but kind of a continuation of something that I was always already passionate about. Um, uh, when I you know, came back to the States and was looking, do I go into the path of, uh, of, of, of activism, advocacy, uh, policy work uh, versus journalism? Frankly, it wasn't very difficult uh, choice uh, to continue working uh, specifically on the things I'm passionate about. And so that's why I made that shift. But again, right. it's not, not much of a shift, I don't think. Wait, so how long have you been at Israel Policy Forum? So I've actually been at Israel Policy Forum for 14 years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. For 14 years, but as the executive director for the last you look, uh, you look very five, young. six. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone should know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. David looks youthful. Yeah. Not a day over 25. We are, we are young. Uh, all, of, all of us in, on, at the Israel Policy Forum team, hearts. actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> what differentiates your organization from... Yeah from the many others vying sure. for the voice so, in the field of Israel advocacy. Sure. So our organization is sort of a, a distinctive in that it's a, it's a hybrid. It's not a classic policy organization. It's not a classic Jewish community education organization. It's a bit of both. Uh, and those are really the two uh, fields in which we're operating, uh, working to educate uh, policymakers, uh, policy staff in Washington right, by de actually developing policy proposals and advocating for specific policy proposals, and then taking that content and building a bridge, so to speak, from the policy conversation to the Jewish communal conversation, uh, and educating uh, leaders within the Jewish community on, again, some of these pragmatic steps that we're uh, proposing on the policy side to try to change the conversation uh, around particularly the Israeli-Palestinian peace process into something that's much more substantive and less sloganeering. So when you joined yes. the Israel Policy Forum, what was it about then? How has that developed or where it is today? Um, actually, Israel Policy Forum, the organization, originally was created on the day of the handshake between Yitzhak Rabin and Yasser Arafat. It was actually created with the encouragement of Rabin, um, who, who sought an organization who would support uh, the efforts that we now call the Oslo Accords. Um, and the organization suffered alongside the peace process, if I'm going to be quite quite frankly, guys, um, during the second intifada and the, 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 the horrific uh, violence that we saw as a result and really the collapse of the, of the Oslo paradigm, um, the organization also didn't have um, the resonance of what it was sought to do when it was created in 1993. Um, so we actually revived the organization six years ago, effectively from scratch. And today we're growing and we have some phenomenal people on board, uh, both on the lay uh, and professional side, uh, working with phenomenal partners in Israel and in Washington and in the Jewish community, um, working in a number of cities around the country, again, to, to bring some of this policy content uh, into uh, the conversation so we have a, a more informed and constructive discussion around these issues, both in, in Washington and the Jewish community. Uh, we're really thrilled about the growth and the, and, and the progress, despite, frankly, um, the current uh, prospects uh, at the moment for Israeli-Palestinian peace. And perhaps because of that, we see there's a great deal of interest in identifying what, what can be done rather than what can't be done. I want to know, in the past yeah. month, yes. give me a moment where you exemplified chutzpah. 
And also, what do you think chutzpah means? Uh, the last month, and I exemplified chutzpah. That's a uh, it's interesting. Um, let me think about that. Uh, well, I, I think in your work, you probably are yeah. uh, up against Look, uh, last, many a many yes. a person with uh, their fair share of uh, yeah. forwardness when it comes to opinions about yeah. something non-controversial. Look, uh, I just came back from 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 Israel, uh, the West Bank, and and the Gaza border. Um, Nothing going on there, really. Yeah, Quiet. So, I mean. I, I don't know. I guess it's the nature of the work. If this is if this is chutzpah, but I think um, you know we wanted to find out for ourselves what the situation is on the ground. So instead of talk about the situation about Gaza from here, uh, we spent a, a day with the communities on the Gaza border. Um, and uh, as was telling shared before we started, we effectively ended up uh, not on purpose, but literally spending the day with the communities as they were chasing fires. Um, being launched from Gaza, from the balloons and kites, um, to really understand and experience what they're going through um, and the various challenges they face and, frankly, what can be done about it. Um, and we also spent some time, frankly, on, on the other side and not merely with the Palestinian Authority leadership in Ramallah, but also really experiencing the refugee camps and experiencing the d- diversity of opinion on the Palestinian side um, to not frankly speak with only those that we that help reinforce our positions but to speak and experience uh, things that challenge our, our perspectives um, whether that's challenging our views uh, from the classic left or challenging them from the right I think it's critically important that we always uh, make an effort at hearing all the, the range of perspectives and so I think just in the last week um, we've heard from uh, and engaged with folks in the Gaza border, as I mentioned, the refugee camps to the PA officials from across the spectrum uh, in Israel, whether it's Stav Shafir from the left or Naftali Bennett from the right, um, just making sure that we aren't afraid to engage in a conversation with regardless of uh, how much they may challenge our own assumptions. What surprised you? What surprised what was me? was my question, was Sharon Weiss-Greenberg. Oh my God, it's like we're dancing. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I guess what surprised me is... Uh, I find that um, we are facing a genuine uh, potential crisis and potential war along the Gaza border. That what we currently see of sort of the flaring of violence, um, the, there's an absolute risk that this could spill over into a, a wider scale uh, war. And I'm concerned that there hasn't been sufficient urgency to address uh, some of the dynamics on the ground that are contributing to that. Um, Sorry if that's overly political. Did, you, or actu- that, no, did yeah. you actually go into Gaza? No, we did not go into Gaza. We went, you know, uh, in the Otefaza, the the surrounding uh, communities. And uh, but no, we did not go into Gaza. So, um, question: How do you, in your work, yeah. remain hopeful and mm. optimistic when you so frequently seem to be hitting your head against a problem? That not only doesn't have a simple solution, but it's kind of the Medusa of yeah. problems. You hack one angle and somehow it grows 10 more. Right. Um, how do you persevere in that atmosphere where there is a sense that one once was a viable uh, potential of peace is seeming farther and farther from yeah. what is possible? Um, quite honestly, I think we have to be incredibly, incredibly honest about the obstacles and not, you know, 
frankly, BS our way into optimism and hope and all this kind of stuff. We have to have all of that. that that's nice. But we should be real about the obstacles because we're not real about addressing those obstacles. We're never going to overcome them. So right now, there is not going to be a deal, right? That's very, very clear. We do not have leaders on both sides that are prepared to make compromises necessary to have an actual lasting agreement. Um, and I would strongly suspect, you know, suggest that the current American team is not situated to be a, a viable mediator of a, a, a lasting conflict-ending resolution. That should be very, very obvious and clear. I'm not sure it is <laughs> to some at the moment, but there's not going to be a deal now. Um, what we focus on is how do we make tomorrow a step in the right direction? Um, and how can we focus on specific security, specific economic, and specific political steps that are achievable, that don't require coming to an agreement on final status issues like Jerusalem and refugees and borders and settlements and all these major, you know, major, major issues to reaching a final status agreement. But how, should, how can we talk about work permits? to provide for economic development on the, on the West Bank? How can we focus on certain security measures that should be taken, that are there to be had, uh, to, be, to be taken, that could preserve the idea for the future that we'd have an agreement, uh, or preserve the idea that there could be negotiations to our agreement, but we should recognize that it's not happening now and be honest with ourselves. And that's how we right. keep going, is let's, let's focus on the possible and not the maybe ideal but unrealistic. Right. Have you ever thought of transitioning back into an easier field like journalism? <laughs> Something no, a little no, no. quieter and less controversial, perhaps? No, absolutely not. This is um, I'm, I'm very, very passionate uh, about Israel. I'm passionate about the cause. And um, I don't think I could uh, I'd be so dispassionate. Let me ask you, what could yeah. like us common folk do to help the cause? To help the cause, honestly, I think we should change the way we're talking about the challenges. Mm -hmm. um, the problem of this conflict is not, uh, uh, first and foremost, the, these, these final status issues I've just described. There are huge gaps between the sides. And too often when we have conversations about this issue, it devolves into like, oh, the Palestinians won't accept this, that, or the other position. We immediately go to final status. Or too often in the community we say, uh, the major pr obstacle is the Palestinian refusal to come to the negotiating table. I'm sure you've heard that before. Um, and the reality is if negotiations are started tomorrow with the Trump ultimate deal, it's going to end in failure because neither side is ready to actually make a deal. Mm -hmm. um, and so instead, we should be highlighting, whether it's on our social media, uh, educating ourselves uh, and sharing with others and providing support for our policymakers to support Israel uh, and the Palestinians taking steps in the right direction. So let's travel back to your days as a youth in Phoenix, Arizona. Oh, man. When you were just, you know, footloose and fancy free. Is that a thing? Was footloose in Arizona? No. <laughs> no, I, I, I thought know. that was an expression. It, it, it feels like yeah. it could be. Hold on yeah. a second. Footloose yeah. and fancy free is not a, is that a thing. Uh, I just, I'm going to trademark that. Nobody use it. Footloose and fancy free is the name of my band. <laughs> TBD. Take it. Um, so, back, so sorry, back, back to Phoenix, yeah. Back to Phoenix when your days were full of nothing but sunshine and, and Arizona sun. And Arizona time. sun. And your own time no time. worries, no thoughts of the Palestinian conflict that would yeah. that would take up your days as it does now. Tell us a little bit about uh what what were you like as a child and when did you start to really uh develop those chutzpah roots? Uh so it's an interesting story. I I uh I grew up in uh Northwest Phoenix, so the other side of Phoenix from Scottsdale, which is pretty much what everybody, uh, when they think of Phoenix, they think of Scottsdale. Sorry, where is that in relation to Manhattan? Can you <laughs> oh. 
far. It's far. 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 <laughs> no, Northwest Phoenix. Uh, Take a left. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Keep going. Yashar, yashar. Yeah. No, it's a predominantly, I'd say, Hispanic neighborhood. Uh, really no Jewish community uh, whatsoever to speak of. I was born uh, half Jewish on the wrong side, I like to say, uh, and was uh, really raised Jewish by our grandparents, uh, my brother and I. Um, but growing up in a uh, predominantly Hispanic neighborhood and taking off for the Jewish holidays and so forth, my friends used to say, you know, David's not white, he's Jewish. Uh, and it was sort of, right. He yeah. was like, it was like my minority ID card, uh, mm. that, I, that I was Jewish. And, um, uh, and it stuck, uh, frankly. Um, it, it became a sense that literally everybody I met, I was the first Jewish person they were ever meeting. And no I way. was like representing the tribe in a way. Yeah. So much so that like by the time I was in sixth grade, I was giving talks on Israel and Judaism. I swear, it's true. That's crazy. Yeah, to elementary schools, to my elementary school. And how and did like you know what to say? So. Like, what did you say? What did I say? Yeah. Like, they knew nothing. So, like, I, I would literally bring in, like, a siddur and write some Hebrew letters on the on the chalkboard, and the kids would be like, what is that? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I talked about Israel, and, um, and, you know, that was... Do you have uh, Israeli family? Or Very distant Israeli family. I have an Israeli wife, so I have Israeli in There you go. How did you meet your wife? We were neighbors in Shani the age. dorms uh, at Tel Aviv University. Very nice. Yeah. So what inspired your passion for Israel at a young age as a Hebrew school teacher for your uh, sixth grade yeah, classmates? Seriously. Um, no, honestly, it was, it was really about identity, and it felt a very strong sense of identity. And like I said, I, I felt like I was... in responsible for how people's perception That's of Jewish crazy. people because I was literally there was no other Jewish kids like at all right I think my high school there were maybe three of us and you know 2,000 kids or something like mm -hmm. that um, and I would go to the other side of town to go to Hebrew school and synagogue and all that kind of stuff and so for me uh, it, it really was that um, mm -hmm. and I grew up in a sort of lower middle class background and I got a chance to be on scholarship to go to summer camps and was the beneficiary of a lot of philanthropic work that I was deeply deeply appreciative of and that sort of inspired me more to learn more about the Jewish community and how it gives back and, and, and all of that mm -hmm. um, so I'm really very much like a, the poster child you know I, I now get to work with Charles Bronfman on a, on a almost daily basis the co-founder of Birthright Israel and I always tell him you know I was on one of the very first birthright trips and had it not been for birthright frankly um i probably wouldn't be living here in new york and doing this work um my none of nobody in my family had tr ever traveled overseas let alone israel nobody in my family had had a college degree um wow. so how old were you when you first went to israel i was on birth i was on I went, to, I went to birth right now i was uh, 19 i guess to, right. No, 20. And then after 20. that, you decided to go to college in Tel Aviv. Yeah, I went to, I went to Tel Aviv wow. University, and then I did an internship there for a while, uh, and then got the job at Haaretz, uh, and then came back to the States, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so how has that initial sense of uh, having the minority ID card <laughs> played into the conversation around, are Jews white? Which oh, is geez. very relevant in today's discourse yeah um look i don't know for for me growing up that's it was absolutely sort of my uh as i said my my badge so to speak um you know i was very much the jewish kid um and uh it was what was distinctive and it you know as a child it, it made me feel special frankly um and uh and unique 
And I think clearly the Jewish community is now in a, a rather great place in this country and is privileged in a whole host of ways. But for me, particularly growing up where I grew up, there was a distinction, no mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. I have this like distinct memory from being like, I don't know, 13 and like really enthusiastic about my uh, bar mitzvah studies, you know. I started getting bullied by like wannabe neo-Nazi kids. Oh my right? God. Yeah. Because I used to wear a Magen David like uh, necklace uh, in the last period of, of, of uh, PE, physical education, you know. And uh, after school one day, I had like an enormous amount of like either gang members or wannabe gang members you know, take care of the situation. Oh my God. I'm serious. Yeah. Like they, helped they you didn't, out. They like beat them up or anything, but they just like intimidated them to like, yeah, they like to had my back. stop on you? Yeah. Yeah. It was like, That's isn't that like, funny? It was crazy. like, like <laughs> the Mexican gang had my back. <laughs> Literally the gang had his back. Um, That's nuts. Yeah. So I feel like let's end on a strong note. Okay. I, I think our time's running out. Um, <laughs> this is fun. This was fun. Can I say one other thing that you're doing? Yeah. I happen to get to know David, and he's just a very good person. And there's one thing that he has been very involved in. I'm not sure what your role is on the board of... Star for Ben. Star for Ben, if you want to talk about that briefly. Sure. This is really just a very nice thing. Sure. So I'm on the board and helping to start a, a small family-run nonprofit to uh, address an incredibly rare disease uh, that uh, is called Sala disease, S-A-L-L-A. Uh, that is incredibly rare. Uh, in fact, there's less than 130 known cases in the entire world. And uh, one of our neighbors, uh, son, is uh, among those in the United States that has the disease. Uh, fewer than 10 it's believed in the United States to have the disease, um, but there is a remarkable uh, science, scientific advisory board that's been created that will be meeting uh, in September in sort of an unprecedented gathering of scientists and families from across the world uh, getting together to uh, create a, a research plan uh, for addressing this disease. Apparently, there are some specific ideas about how it might be addressed. So this is something that I'm doing uh, uh, in my uh, volunteer efforts. It's really beautiful. Yeah. And we love the Folio family and we support you and love yes, you. Yes, absolutely. All right. Make exactly. sure to follow David on Twitter. D. Halprin or Israel Policy 4M as in the number four and the letter M for Israel Policy Forum. And check out Two State Security and all that good stuff. Thanks so much. <laughs> Have a good one. Thanks. This episode of the Chutzpah Podcast was recorded by Shira Hanau and edited by Rebecca Honig-Friedman. Our theme music is by Glazer Drive. The Chutzpah Podcast is a joint project of Jofa and the New York Jewish Week. You can listen on iTunes, SoundCloud, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please remember to subscribe, and if you like what you hear, please consider giving us a positive rating.